I don't know if um, you've ever had anybody encourage you in your attitude, but it has often been said that attitude is everything. Choosing your attitude is the most important thing that you do every day. That's what was said to me when I was growing up. It's a little thing that makes a big difference because people may know your intention, but they feel your attitude. They may hear your words, but they see your attitude. Last week in Philippians uh, 2, 5 through 12, or 5 through 11, Paul writes about our attitude. And he says this, that we must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself in obedience to God to the point of death, even death on the cross. And this week is the sequel. Paul uh, follows and extends his encouragement by explaining to the Philippians how they're to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So our scripture reading this morning is about the joy of obedience. The attitude of obedience that we have as followers of Jesus. If I were a Christian rapper, I would write a song about these verses with these lyrics. Obedience gives credence to the joy of allegiance, even when it's not an expedient ingredient. (laughs) And what that means is that Jesus provides the pattern for how we should live. And following Jesus means imitating Jesus. And imitating Jesus primarily means humbling ourselves in obedience to God, even when it's difficult. So that's where we look this morning. We open your Bibles to Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 in the Blue Bibles. That is on page 981. How do we have the same attitude as Jesus? We humble ourselves in obedience to God. We have the same attitude as Jesus by humbling ourselves in obedience to God. Look at verse 12. Paul begins with, therefore, my beloved. It's interesting when you see the word therefore in someone's writing. The word therefore is telling us that Paul is linking his encouragement to what he previously wrote. Therefore, my beloved, as Christ has obeyed, you have obeyed. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, like Jesus. Paul's affirming their Christ-like attitude of obedience. The Philippians are living into it. They're being who they are. They're doing what God has given them the desire and ability to do. And what Paul's saying is keep on doing what you've been doing since you were saved. Keep on imitating Jesus by humbling yourself in obedience to God. Keep on obeying. And he's really emphasizing this because this is the essence of the Christian life. 
having the same attitude as Jesus by humbling ourselves in obedience to God. But how is it that we do that? Have any of y'all seen this painting? The Light of the World by 19th century artist William Holman Hunt. Y'all know this? You seen it? In person? You know where it is? Okay. What school? Okay. I don't know. It's, it's upstairs in some room in uh, some college in Oxford, right? Yeah, anyway, y'all can Google that. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great painting. Um, and it's a, it depicts Jesus knocking on an unopened door, illustrating Revelation 3.30, 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And the best thing, the most famous thing about this painting is that the door has no handle on the outside, so it can only be opened up from the inside. I think this is really helpful because the word obey means to listen and respond or to listen and open up and let in. It was commonly used for the duty of a porter, you know, like a a doorman, a door person. And when someone came to the door and knocked, the porter would hear and go to the door and open it up and let him in. And so as followers of Jesus, we are porters for God. We listen for God through his word, through his people, and through the promptings, the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And when what we hear aligns with the character of God and the word of God and who God created and redeemed us to be, we trust that it's God speaking to us. We hear and we respond by opening the door of our hearts and letting God into the circumstances and situations of our lives so that he might direct our attitude and actions. Reporters. So think about it for a minute. Write it, write it down. In what circumstance or situation do you need God to enter into right now? How is it that you're listening for him? What might be causing you not to open that door? What would happen if you heard him and opened the door and let him in? What would happen? As we, um, as we listen to Jesus and as we let him in, know this. Obedience leads to joy and delight. Obedience leads to joy and delight. I love how this is expressed in the Psalms. Your commands are radiant, giving light to our eyes. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. 
from Psalm 119. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. I rejoice in your laws as one rejoices in great riches. I will meditate on your commandments and fix my eyes on your ways. Make me walk along the path of your commands, O Lord, for that is where my happiness is found. So I will even speak to kings about your laws, and I will not be ashamed. Do you hear the theme? Obedience isn't begrudgingly following a set of random rules or stingy statutes of a mean God. That is not what obedience is at all. Obedience is about a deep heart connection with God, about an intimate relationship with God who loves us and knows what is best for us. And when we hear him and let him in and do what he says, that willing obedience to God brings great joy and delight in our lives. Jesus emphasizes this same thing. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commands and remain in his love. And the reason I have told you this is so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. What Jesus is saying is that our attachment to him leads us to desire to hear him and do what he says. And hearing and doing what Jesus says produces fruit in our lives, the fruit of love and the fruit of joy. Joy. So maybe write this down. In what area of your life do you sense God calling you to obedience? Because he loves you, because he cares for you. Why do you think God is encouraging you to obey him in that area? And what do you think would happen if you put God's word into practice in that area of your life and actually did what Jesus teaches? What, what, what if you did that? So as we listen to Jesus and let him in, it's also important to remember that obedience is not always convenient or easy or popular. There's often a price to obedience, but the cost of obedience is always sacred. The cost of obedience is always sacred, meaning sometimes obeying God hurts because it confronts our pride or calls us away from a crutch. But even so, God is using our obedience to draw us closer to him, to make us more like him, and to align us to his purposes because he loves us. And he wants what's best for us. Several years ago, um, after 
planting a church in Austin and pastoring that church for about eight or nine years, um, I began to get restless. I felt like I was stuck. And as I, as I prayed, I began to sense over a couple of months that the Lord was releasing me. Uh, and as I began to share that with my bishop and a couple of other people, um, a request came that me and my family move uh, to Little Rock and help at St. Andrews. And so uh, one July weekend, Amanda and I were visiting St. Andrews, Little Rock. And after a couple of days there, we went into the prayer room and we knelt down on the kneelers, particularly the, the wedding kneeler that they used that had uh, needlepoint cushions. Beautiful. We knelt down there together and we prayed. And uh, after we prayed, I turned to a man and I said, what do you hear the Lord saying to you? And uh, I, I have seen the light of Christ shine through Amanda many, many, many times in my life, but perhaps never so brightly as I saw the light of Christ in her at this particular moment. She turned to me and she said, I'd rather suffer in obedience than suffer in disobedience. Now, why would Amanda say that? Life in Austin was really good. Things at the church were going really well. We had our entire family living within about a mile and a half of each other. Th there was no real reason for us to move from Austin to Little Rock except the Lord was calling us to do it. And it was very, very painful. And what Amanda was expressing that obeying God was going to cause her suffering. But there is something different between the suffering of obedience and the suffering of disobedience because the suffering of obedience is sacred. Because what Amanda knows is that God uses our obedience to draw us closer to him, to make us more like him, and to align us to his purposes because he knows what's best for us. This is, in fact, Jesus' example of obedience that we're supposed to imitate. Abdicating our position, abstaining from privilege in order to attend to God's purposes, and ultimately acquiescing our life for the sake of others. Obedience isn't always convenient or easy or popular, but it brings the good of the Lord in our lives and to the lives of others through us. What is God saying to you this morning? How is he knocking? What is he saying? What does it look like to open up your life and let him in? Doing what he says, knowing that that's going to bring great joy. As we listen to Jesus and let him in, <clears throat> be encouraged because obedience is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of mature faith. So as children, we obeyed because we feared getting punished, right? 
But as we grew up, we began to obey because we trusted our parents' love for us. We knew that when our parents asked us to do something and we did it, good things happened. We stayed safe. We got fed. We maintained that bond. And the same is true in our relationship with God. As we mature in the faith, obedience becomes a grateful response to God's love for us. We obey because we know that he loves us. Because God loves us, we can trust that good things will happen when we do what he says. And so to experience the joy that Jesus is talking about, that the Philippians are experiencing, we have to let go of our childish reasons for obeying God. Our unbiblical reasons for obeying God. Biblical obedience, mature obedience, faithful obedience is this. We love God so much because he first loved us in Christ. And we want to do what Jesus would do in every way and in every circumstance. That's what it means to hear and to receive, to open up to let God in, to guide and to direct, to put his word into practice. How are you doing with hearing and obeying? How's the Lord knocking? What's he saying? In what area of your life, this week, this month, this year, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, with your classmates, with your roommates, what does it look like to obey? To humble yourselves in obedience to God and imitate Jesus in that particular circumstance or situation. That's what Paul's getting at. This is what the Philippians are doing, and he's saying, keep going. Keep going. The second thing that Paul talks about is in verse 12 and 13. That obedience is a sacred partnership with God. He's, he's, going, he's going deeper. He's making this um, more clear. He's coloring it in and filling it out a little bit more. He says in verses 12 and 13, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, I like how Robert um, read it this morning from the New Living Translation. I think the New Living Translation actually conveys it better. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Why? For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. So what is Paul saying? How do we have the same attitude as Jesus? Yes, humbling ourselves in obedience to God, but also we work out of our lives what God has worked into our lives. Look closely at what Paul is saying. Paul does not say work for your salvation or work toward your salvation or work at your salvation. He says, work out your salvation. 
And no one can work out salvation unless God has already worked in salvation. You see what's going on here? Paul's not talking about attaining salvation by some kind of effort or goodness, but by living out of our identity in Christ, by living out of our identity as new creations, as those who are saved by grace through faith, as those who are masterpieces recreated in the image of Christ for the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to walk in, living out of the inner transformation that God has already graciously granted us. You know what that means? That means that obedience isn't a chore, you know, of figuring out the right thing to do and then trying to make it happen in our own power. That's not what obedience is about. Ugh. Obedience is the joy of hearing and responding, of hearing what God is saying and responding to him in humble obedience by relying on him to bring it to life and make it happen in and through you. Forever friendship and eternal life with God is a gift and that gift is meant to be received and opened up and thoroughly used for our enjoyment and delight. Right? Our salvation doesn't make us look like this. Our salvation makes us look like this. It's our forever friendship with God that is meant to bring us joy and delight. We experience this, I think, this spiritual reality, maybe in the, in the natural realm of gardening. So um, I like planting and growing cucumbers and tomatoes, probably because they're the easiest. It's really hard to mess up cucumbers or tomatoes, although I've done it. Um, but here's what I know. The seed already has everything it needs to become what it's meant to be. I don't create cucumbers or tomatoes. I only steward their growth and health and maturity. In the right soil with the right amount of light and water, the seed becomes a plant that produces the fruit that makes me really happy. And in the same way, Salvation isn't something that we create or grow. We can't. Everything we need for salvation resides in Christ Jesus. And it's him, it's Christ who creates it and earns it for us through his death and his resurrection. And when the seed of the gospel of Christ falls on good soil in our hearts, not refused by our hardness, not crowded by the things of this world, not snatched away by the devil. But when the seed of the gospel of Christ falls on the good soil in our hearts, it causes Christ to come alive in us. It causes Christ to forever abide with us. And it begins to transform us into his likeness, yielding from us the fruit of his righteousness. 
That is the salvation that God works into our lives and makes us so happy to work out. It makes us so happy that we can't think of anything greater than the joy and the delight of working out and displaying our relationship with Jesus. And grateful response to all he's done. Hearing him and putting his teaching into practice for his glory and our joy. To work out our salvation simply means to be who we are in Christ by yielding to his presence and power within us. And as we work out God's salvation in our lives, Paul wants to make us make sure that we know that it's actually the Holy Spirit who's doing the work. It's a partnership, a sacred partnership. It's not that we do nothing. It's that we have the help of the Holy Spirit working in us. And what we do is steward our growth and maturity by partnering with the Spirit. We give ourselves enough exposure to the Son of God. We nourish the soil of our hearts through the Word of God. We remove the rocks and weeds in our lives by confessing our sin and receiving God's forgiveness. And we drink in regular fillings of the Spirit who causes us to grow and be healthy and mature and become more and more like Christ. What Paul is saying is God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. It's the Holy Spirit who's working in us, who awakens us to the grace and truth of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who conveys to us all the promises of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the desire to know and obey Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to make Christ known through our attitudes and actions. How great is the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Think about this. Maybe write this down. Right now or today, make a list of the ways that you're currently experiencing the Spirit of God working in you. How cool to think, to reflect, to write down what the Spirit of God is doing in your life right now. How are you growing in your desire to know and obey God? How can you receive more of his power to do what pleases him? That's the beauty of the gospel. It's a balm to disobedience. When we disobey, we don't try and figure out how to do it better, work harder, or you know, make it right next time. When we disobey, we say we're sorry and we ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit to give us the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. And that's what God does. Sometimes we become aloof or indifferent or even complacent about God's work in our lives. It happens. And that's why I think Paul is emphasizing that we're supposed to work out what God has worked in 
with fear and trembling. This is a sacred relationship, a sacred partnership. But oftentimes this phrase, fear and trembling, is misunderstood. Um, It can be confusing, but it's really not when you break it down. This is not the fear of being cast out and doomed to eternal torment. This is the fear of God that leads to wisdom. It's a healthy respect for the honor of God. It's a reverent appreciation for the majesty of God. The idea of fear and trembling before the Lord, it's it's the outward sign of honor and appreciation that springs from a heart of deep adoration and genuine supplication before the Lord. It's it's a good thing to have that much honor, that much respect for the goodness and glory and majesty and beauty and power of God that we take our partnership, our relationship seriously, reverently, with great respect and adoration. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. And so in summary, here's what Paul is encouraging us to be and to do. We choose to have the same attitude as Jesus by humbling ourselves in obedience to God and a sacred partnership in which we steward out of our lives the salvation God has worked into our lives by reverently and respectfully yielding to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who gives us the desire and ability to be who we are in Christ and do what pleases him in every circumstance and situation for God's glory and our joy. Or, if it were a Christian rap song, obedience gives credence to the joy of our allegiance even when it's not an expedient ingredient. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives now and what you promise to continue to do more and more of. We thank you, Lord, that you have come and made your home in us. That you love us, that you care for us. That you want what's best for us, that you're for us, and that you're working to make us more and more like you. Aligning us to your purposes. And so, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, as we eat the bread and drink the cup... We ask by the presence of your spirit among us, draw us close to you. Attach us, help us to remain in your love and give us that desire and ability to be quick to obey your teaching, to put what you say into practice. Lord, align our minds, encourage our hearts, direct our steps according to your good and holy purposes. Lord Jesus, we 
ask you to come in. To be with us. To speak with us. As our supreme joy and delight. Amen.